Today's daf is Daled in Masechet Beitza. We are 13 lines from the top of Daled Amud Aleph, discussing the bright tell that appeared on the previous daf that mentioned the case of an egg that is a safik. It's a tzfeko, or sfeka, really. The doubtful case of the Beitza, of the egg, is prohibited. And the question was, what kind of safik would be prohibited? Only a safik doraita would be prohibited. So we had to find a way that this egg that's being discussed is an egg that would be biblically prohibited and uh, and not something that was merely a rabbinic prohibition. And therefore we in, we uh, went in the direction, the Gemara went in the direction to say that when it said that the safik case, the doubtful case was prohibited, it was talking about the case not of an egg that was born on the holiday or an egg that was laid on a Shabbat, but it was talking about uh, an egg that was a trefa. And uh, therefore, it came from a trefa chicken, and uh, therefore, it's an isur delaita to eat it, and the safik would also be prohibited. That was the. But now the Gemara backtracks, and we see Rav Ashi Amar leolam safik yom tov safik chol have davar sheish lo matirin v'chol davar sheish lo matirin afilu b'dorah banan lo batim. We come up back to our original assumption that it's talking about the egg that was laid on yom tov, and why then would a case of safik be? A uh, be not uh, well, you know be st- still prohibited. Normally, a safek to rabbanan, such as in this case, according to Rabbi Yitzchak and according to Rav Yosef, that the prohibition here is merely rabbinic um, because of a gzerah, because of a decree, either because an egg being laid is similar to a fruit falling off a tree, or because an egg being laid is similar to juice that get that oozes out of a fruit. Or whatever the case may be, the case of Safik, where we don't know if it was re- actually laid on Yom Tov or weekday, should be permitted because it's Safik de Rabbanan here that we're talking about. The answer is since it is Davar Sheish Lomatirin, since it's something that if we just wait for the holiday to be over, we wait for Shabbat to be over, all of a sudden becomes permitted. So it's Davar Sheish Lomatirin, so even in a rabbinic prohibition will be uh, impervious to any kind of bitul. It will not be subject to nullification. And the safek will also be a uh, will also be prohibited because we could simply wait out the safek in that case, <clears throat> and since uh, and since we can just wait out the safek, we don't allow uh, we don't allow ourselves to rely on the idea that it, the doubt should be permitted because it's a rabbinic doubt. That's the, so therefore an, an egg that we're not sure if it was laid on Yom Tov or Chol, even though it's only a rabbinic prohibition we're dealing with, we still would be stringent because it's a prohibition that will pass. Tanya the Baita says, that others say in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, it says that the egg should, may be eaten, it and its mother. So it says, In what case are we talking about? If we're talking about a chicken, which is designated for food. So that's obvious. We know that both the chicken and its and the egg that it lays, or the egg that's found inside it, either way, would be permitted because they're both considered foods. If we're talking about a case of a chicken, which is designated for uh, laying eggs and not for eating, so then both the chicken and the egg should be prohibited. The chicken should be prohibited because it is designated for laying eggs and not for being eaten, and therefore it's muktzeh. And the egg that's born is considered nolad because it's a new phenomenon. It's not considered an extension of the mother uh, because the mother is not a food and the egg is a food. So therefore it's considered nolad and it would be prohibited. So what case are we talking about here that we say the mother and the egg can both be eaten where it would be any kind of a novel idea? Amr Bizarra says, 
Te'achel agav ima. It means that by virtue of its mother, meaning from the fact that you can eat its mother, you can eat it as well. Meaning what? It's talking about where you bought the chicken stam. You didn't make a commitment as to whether that chicken was going to be uh, uh, for eating or was going to be for uh, producing more eggs. And so therefore, uh, if you slaughter it, so now you've demonstrated that you intend for it to be for food. If you don't, slaughter it. So then, so then it becomes clear that it is uh, that it is a uh, a chicken that was designated for laying eggs. So therefore, everything what what the bright um, meant to say is that everything goes by the mother. If you decide to uh, designate the mother for food, in other words, um, that you uh, you you purchase this uh, chicken without making a commitment either way, and then you decide to slaughter it for food, so then the egg that came out also is going to be considered a food and an extension of the mother. And if, on the other hand, you decide not to slaughter the mother, so then the egg that came out is going to be considered unrelated to the mother. And just like the egg, or just like the mother is mukteh because she is uh, designated for producing eggs, so too will the egg be considered mukteh because it was a new creation, a new entity. The Gemara goes on, uh, Rav Mari Amar Guzma Katani. Rav Mari says that this whole issue of where it says that the egg and its mother can be eaten, it's just a, a an expression. It's just an exaggeration. Like it says, others say the name Rabbi Eliezer. It says that the egg can be eaten together with its mother, and the young chick can be eaten with klipato, with the shell of its egg. My klipato, what do you mean? Nobody eats the eggshell, so what does it mean you can eat it with the eggshell? What it means is that the uh, the chick with its eggshell. Right, so what it means to say is that um, it's speaking about another case, a case in which a chick is uh, born, according to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, if a baby chick is born, it can't be eaten until it opens its eyes. Uh, according to the Chachamim, it's true that you can't eat a baby chick as long as it's inside the egg, but as soon as it comes out of the egg, even if it has no, it has not yet opened its eyes, one can eat it. Okay, and that's what they were saying. They were saying that, um, so uh, so the Gemara asked, how could you say that you can eat the chick in its, uh, inside the uh, inside the um, the shell, we know that re- the rabbis don't argue with Rabbi Eliezer regarding that case where it's inside the shell. Uh, once it's uh, come out of the shell, that's where they have a machloket when it's in the shell. Everybody agrees that you can't. Rather, the idea that you can eat the chick together with its shell that it came out of is just an exaggeration. It's not literal. Nobody says that you can actually take a bite out of an egg that has a chick in it and eat it like that. Nobody would say that. It's an exaggeration. What it means is as soon as the chick comes out, it's permitted according to the rabbis. Um, and it's just using the idea of eating it together with the shell as a guzma, as an, as an exaggeration. Similarly, when it says it and its mother can be eaten, it's an exaggeration. So even though we, uh, so in other words, the point is that it's talking about, of course, the case in which the mother 
is uh, designated as food as well as the egg. And so it's just emphasizing that the mother and the egg, they can both be eaten, but it's, there's no real halachic chidush there necessarily. Um, it, it's a, just a, a figure of speech to emphasize that the, uh, the egg is permitted in that case. Itmar was stated as follows, Shabbat Yom Tov. If you have a Shabbat followed by Yom Tov, meaning that uh, the Yom Tov is on a Sunday. Rav If the egg is born on Shabbat, you cannot eat it on Yom Tov. According to Rabbi Yochanan, if it was born on Shabbat, you could eat it on Sunday Yom Tov. So must we, we, we should, perhaps we should conclude that Rav holds that when you have a Shabbat and a Yom Tov back to back, they're considered one long Kiddushah. And therefore, even though the egg was born on Shabbat, it's considered to have been born on Yom Tov too, because since it's a Saturday, Sunday, Shabbat and Yom Tov combination, they're one long period of Kiddushah. It says that's not true. Because Rav himself said that the halacha follows the four elders and it follows Rabbi Eliezer, that when you have a Shabbat and a Yom Tov back to back, there are two different Kiddushot for many different halachic implications. The issue here is like, is about the question of Hachanad Rabbah. Rabbah was the one who said that any food that you're going to eat on Shabbat had to have been prepared, had to have come into existence and be prepared from uh, a weekday. So, and that's the issue here. Rav, it According to Rav, he holds like a He holds that whatever food you're going to eat on that Yom Tov had to come into existence, be prepared on a weekday. And therefore, if it was born on Shabbat, it cannot be eaten on that Yom Tov because it was not, it did not come into existence on a weekday. Rabbi Yochanan, but Rabbi Yochanan doesn't have that idea. So therefore, as long as the egg was born on Yom Tov, uh, you know, even though it was born on Yom Tov or it was born on Shabbat, rather, it can be eaten the next day on the Yom Tov, and there's no problem at all uh, for uh, with regard to that issue. The, um, then it says, Katana, it's actually a machloket tanaim, nolda b'shabbat te'achil b'yom tov, b'yom tov te'achil b'shabbat. If you have a back-to-back Shabbat and Yom Tov, such as you have a Saturday, Sunday, or you have a Friday Yom Tov and a Shabbat, so in that case, if on the first day the egg is uh, laid, on the second day it could be eaten. According to Rabbi Yehuda, no. The rabbis argue about this as well. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel argue about this as well. Beit Shammai says that yes, you can eat the egg in that case where it was born on Shabbat and you want to eat it on the Sunday Yom Tov or it was born on the Friday Yom Tov, you want to eat it on Shabbat, it would be allowed. And Beit Hillel says no. The uh, the landlord or the uh, host of Rava Adaba He had eggs that were laid on Yom Tov, and he wanted to use them on Shabbat. Said, look, they were born on Yom Tov. I know I can't eat them today because it's it's Yom Tov, but that when they were born and an egg that was born on Yom Tov, you're not allowed to eat it. But can I roast the eggs today and eat them on Shabbat tomorrow? He said, "What's your reasoning, Rabbi Yochanan? You're assuming that because it's a machlok between Rabbi Yochanan and Rav, and normally we follow Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan is the one that says that if the egg was born on a Friday Yom Tov, then on the sun, then on the Shabbat you're allowed to eat it. Afilo Rabbi Yochanan lo kasharei el gom Even Rabbi Yochanan only means that you can eat it on Shabbat raw. Aval bi but you cannot 
do anything with it on that Friday. Bahatani, in fact, we learned in a Baita that Achad Beitash Nodab Shabbat, Achad Beitash Nodab Yom Tov, in Mitaltalinotam, Lo Lechasot Batakili, Dos Mochbakarimita. A person is not allowed to handle the egg that was laid on Shabbat or Yom Tov at all. So for sure, even though it was, even though technically tomorrow, because it's a Friday Yom Tov and the egg was laid on the Friday, even though technically by tomorrow Shabbat, you'd be permitted to eat it, you could eat it raw, but you cannot handle it or prepare it or roast it on that Friday for the sake of Shabbat because we saw that you're not allowed to handle it, you're not allowed to support, to cover things with it, you're not allowed to use it to support a bed uh, either. There was a uh, someone who was a host of Rav Papa, or some say it was just a random person who spoke to Rav Papa and said, "He had eggs that were that were laid on a Shabbat, and it was a Sunday Yom Tov." So he came to Rav Papa. He asked him, "Can I eat them tomorrow?" They were laid on Shabbat, and. Um, and he wanted to know if he'd be able to uh, partake of them on the uh, the next day, which happened to be a Yom Tov. So he said to him, uh, uh, so he said, Go home now and uh, come tomorrow and ask me. And uh, uh, so in other words, he didn't want to answer the question right there, right there. Dirav lo mokei because Rav would never have in the afternoon, uh, Rashi explains, he would not give shiurim in the afternoon between one holiday and the next, or seemingly between one Shabbat, between a Shabbat and a holiday, because in the afternoon there would be drinking at the meals, um, and so in the afternoon to get up and give a drasha where he would be answering halachic questions would be a problem because you're not allowed to be inebriated at all when you... And give answers to halachic questions. So since people are drinking at the uh, at the meals, giving hal- answers to halachic questions would be a problem, and therefore he didn't have a drasha at that time. And Rav Papa was saying the same thing, since he had been drinking, I guess, at the Shabbat meal. He didn't want to answer the question um, until uh, the next day. Since we're talking about a situation where it was a Shabbat followed by Yom Tov here, so... Um, so, so it was a Shabbat. Uh, he's asking the question on Shabbat. He told him come back on the Yom Tov in the morning, I guess, uh, before the drinking of the Yom Tov begins, rather than in the afternoon on Shabbat where they had already been drinking. When he came the next day, he said to him, he said, it's a, it's a good thing that you came now because because I would have made a mistake. And I would have answered you, Rav Rabbi Yochanan, Halacha Rabbi Yochanan. I would have told you that whenever there's a machlokah between Rav and Rabbi Yochanan, the Halacha follows Rabbi Yochanan. And we know that Rabbi Yochanan was the one who said that when you have a Shabbat and a Yom Tov back to back, if the egg is laid on the first day, then by the second day you're allowed to uh, partake of it. And I would have held like Rabbi Yochanan if I had if I had answered you yesterday. I would have told you we should follow Rabbi Yochanan and be lenient in that because I was under the influence of alcohol. However, However, I would have forgotten that Rav himself said that um, that there are three cases in which we follow Rav against Rabbi Yochanan, and this is one of them. When you have a Shabbat and a Yom Tov next to each other, we're going to see the other two coming up later, when you have the two days of Yom Tov next to each other or the two days of Rosh Hashanah. And in those cases, we follow Rav, and in this case, we follow Rav. So even though on the first day, meaning it was a Shabbat, the egg was laid, even on Sunday, which is the uh, day of Yom Tov, the person's not allowed to partake of it. If you have a case of wood that fell off of a tree, 
branches fell off of a tree on Shabbat. So this has to be Yom Tov. And let's say it was Shabbat, followed by Yom Tov on Sunday. And so the wood fell off the tree on Shabbat. And you want to use it now to uh, cook your food or for firewood uh, on Yom Tov. And it says, you can't do it. Why? Don't tell me about the Beitza. Don't tell me about the eggs at Rabbi Yochanan. Even though I'm the one who says that if an egg was laid on Shabbat, you're allowed to partake of it on Yom Tov. I don't say that about a branch that fell off a tree on Shabbat, that if it's right next to a Yom Tov, meaning Yom Tov is Sunday, that you can use it. Why? He said the reason is very simple. Because when it comes to an egg, the egg is laid on Shabbat. Really, if you wanted to, you could eat the egg raw, but you refrained from doing so, and you waited till the next day. So it's clear that since you waited till the next day, that on the day itself that the egg was laid, you weren't allowed to partake of it. That's why you waited to, to Sunday Yom Tov in order to use it. However, here, when it's a sh- when the wood fell off the tree on Shabbat, um, in other words, in the case of the egg, therefore, people will know that the day itself when the egg was, was laid, you're not allowed to use it, only the next day, because you refrained from using it on Shabbat when it was laid and waited till the next day. But when it comes to wood that fell off a tree on Shabbat, a person will say, well, the reason you didn't use it on Shabbat is not because you're not allowed to use wood that falls off a tree on Shabbat. It's just because there's nothing to do with wood that fell off a tree on Shabbat. You can't burn it. <clears throat> you can't cook with it. The next day the guy goes and he uses it for cooking up his Yom Tov meal. Uh, people won't realize that the reason he refrained from using it the previous day on Shabbat itself was because you're not allowed to use it. They'll just think there was no reason to use it um, rather than it being clear. So in other words, in a situation where you have these back-to-back days and <clears throat> you have to refrain on day one and you can use it on day two, that only works if you could have used it on day one and it's clear that you're refraining from using it on day one and only using it on day two because other people, otherwise people will make a mistake and they'll think that even on day one, hypothetically, you could have used it. That's the case of the wood. What happens if on Yom Tov itself, the Yom Tov, wood falls off a tree into the oven and you now, you're heating up the oven. So, what you can do is add permitted wood that you had from before Yom Tov onto it. Normally, tree branches that come become detached on the Yom Tov or on Shabbat are muktzeh because they were part of a living uh, plant and now they became detached. But So, they fell into your oven. You can just add uh, proper firewood that was set aside beforehand to the oven and you can heat it up and it's no problem. What about the fact that he's touching, he's handling wood, some of it is muktzeh wood because it just detached from the tree today. Since most of it is permitted wood because he put a majority of his own wood that was set aside for Yom Tov on top of this wood that fell off of the tree. So well, then it's okay. So it's considered that that's all he's handling. What about the fact that he's intentionally nullifying the pro- prohibited substance? Because those pieces of wood that fell off of the tree are really muktzeh. They're not allowed to be used. They're not allowed to be handled. And I'm going to go ahead on purpose and add to the pile of wood, wood that is permitted in order to nullify it. Normally you're not allowed to nullify things. For example, you have a little bit of milk that fell into a meat uh, dish, you can't just put more of the meat dish in in order to nullify the milk or whatever it is. You cannot do bitul lechatchila. Okay, so how can you do it here? We have a general principle that you're not allowed to intentionally, in the first place, nullify a prohibition uh, that got mixed into a permitted uh, substance. 
So what does it say? Hanimila bideoraita. Aval bideorabanan mivatli. And that's only true with regard to biblical prohibitions. But when it comes to rabbinic things, you're allowed to do bitul, uh, even take initiative and purposely nullify a substance that's only rabbinically prohibited. What about Ravashi who says that anything which becomes permitted later, you can never nullify it. And since these branches of this tree that fell off on Yom Tov into my tanur, into my oven, since they are uh, going to be totally permitted after the holiday, there's no reason why I can't wait. So why would I be able to nullify them at all? The difference is that in a case where the substance remains intact, so that's where we say that we don't use the mechanism of 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 bitul and we don't use the mechanism of um, of leniency because we could simply wait out the prohibition in that case because it's davar shish lo it's a prohibition of the yom tov it will be. Uh, it will become obsolete as soon as the Yom Tov is over. The fact that these branches fell off the tree on Yom Tov doesn't make a difference once Yom Tov is over. So therefore, what? So, but that, that's true. So normally you would say we can't use Bitul, right? But over here, um, in uh, uh, and even in a Durabanam wouldn't be allowed to use Bitul. But it says that's only true where the substance remains intact. But here, since it's going to be burnt up, it's going to disappear um, as as you're burning it, in other words, you're destroying it. That's how you're using it. So there, you're allowed to do bitul lechatchila. Idmar, we stated as follows: If you have the two days of Yom Tov, let's say the first two days of Sukkot, what happens if on day one of Sukkot an egg is laid and you want to use it on the second day? So it says that should be okay. Ravasi says no. Uh, whatever is laid on the first day of Yom Tov, you can't use it on the second day of Yom Tov. It's all one extended period. You cannot play any games over there. So, is that really true that Ravasi holds that the two days of Yom Tov are actually really one long period of time? We have a, a novel position of Ravasi that he actually would say in between the first and second days of the Yom Tov because he wasn't sure if perhaps the second day of Yom Tov was a distinct entity um, and uh, whether it should be, whether there should be Havdalah. So Rashi actually says here, he says, He would say, Because said, since we know nowadays that Yom Tov is really the first day, because we know what the calendar is, and the second day is really Chol, it's really weekday the second day. So uh, therefore, you, uh, even though we keep the second day as a custom, he felt obligated to say Havdalah after the first day, since the first day was over. That's the um, that's the logic of uh, of Ravasi. So, if that being the case, um, it doesn't seem that he considered the entire thing one period of prohibition. On the contrary, he doesn't consider it one period of prohibition. He considers it to be two separate periods. He makes up the line between. So it says, He was in doubt. Ravasi was, and therefore he was stringent. On both. In other words, he, he wasn't sure if the second day of Yom Tov had a status that it was considered a takana of the rabbis, that it's one long period of time, those two days. Rashi says, Is it a fixed decree of the rabbis that there's a two day Yom Tov and the day Asbara? 
It, even though the, it originated with a doubt, but now it's a fixed thing, and therefore, if that's the case, then you would then it's one long da- day, and you wouldn't say have the in the middle. And uh, and if an egg was born on the first day, it would also be prohibited on the second day because it's all one long time. Or it could be that the second day is a lower status because we really know the first day is the day of the Yom Tov. The second day is just a custom that we have to keep the second day, and therefore we should say have the line between them. He had that doubt himself. Now he said, you know, it really makes sense what uh, what Rav Asi is saying that um, that. Uh, uh, it, it's a matter of doubt, Rashi says. He says uh, that it makes sense according to uh, uh, that he says it's prohibited. In other words, that he says that uh, the egg that's born on, on day one should be prohib- prohibited on day two because since we know we already know what day the holiday really is, and yet we keep two days. In other words, you see from the fact that we keep two days today in the diaspora that the rabbis weren't basing themselves on the doubt because they don't have a doubt about what the correct day of the calendar is anymore. Rather, they just keep the two days automatically and that shows you that it's one long period of two days instituted by the Chachamim that way. It's not that the first day is definite and the second day is a doubt and they're on two different levels, but rather that the Chachamim made it one long period of two days. Rabbi says, no, the Rav it makes more sense according to the way that Rav said that if an egg is born is late on day one, you should be able to consume it on day two because it's not. That what they had was um, in the old days, what they used to do was they would go up to these mountains and they would light these sort of fires, and then people on the next mountain would see it and they would light a fire, and people on the next one would light a fire. And they did that in order to communicate to the, uh, as far as possible, to send a message out, as far as possible, that, that they had sanctified the new moon, what the new month was, so everybody would have the correct calendar and everybody could keep one day of the holiday. But the Kutim started to make a problem. The Kutim were the Samaritans who opposed the rabbis. They wanted to interfere. And once they started to interfere, they had to send out Shushluchin Yotzin. They had to send out into actual human messengers. They couldn't use the uh, fire signals anymore because the Kutim were purposely sabotaging that method. So they had to send out Shluchin. Right? Which means that if we didn't have the situation of the Kutim interfering and we were able to let people know what the correct day was, then we would only be keeping one day. And what that shows you is that the second day is always just because of the Safek. It's not a Takana that they had, but rather it's they, it, ideally we should really be keeping one day if we had an ability to do so. Right? So therefore, uh, so, so it says, In fact, the places that those messengers reached, they only kept one day, right? So uh, being that the uh, that that's the case, it sounds like the second day was only there in a suffix situation. It was only there when the people didn't know for sure when the holiday began. And if that's the case, then the second day is of a uh, lesser status than the first day. It's a suffix day. And that's why you would say, that uh, according to Rab, that if it's the, if the egg is laid on the first day, the second day you can already partake of the egg because we say that the second day is just a uh, out of doubt. It's not one long period created by the Chachamim, but it's a, it's a it's a custom that we have to respect that original doubt that they once had. So it's now once we're on that, 
nowadays that we have a fixed calendar, why do we have two days of holiday? It says, because because they sent a message from Eretz Yisrael, you should be very careful with the custom of your, of your ancestors in your hands. Because in the future it could be that the, uh, that the authorities will make a decree upon the Jewish people and will prevent them from watching the calendar, maintaining the calendar properly. And they'll need these two days of uh, Yom Tov in order to protect themselves from accidentally, let's say, eating chametz on Pesach or something like that to make sure that they have the days correctly. Um, they have to overcompensate by having the two-day Yom Tov. says that you should continue to do even when you have a good calendar because it could be in the future that the authorities will intervene and you won't have such a good calendar anymore. Um, there is an interesting uh, uh, point in the Tosfot here. We, we talked about not nullifying um, prohibited substances in the first place. He says that, uh, uh, but you can do it with Durabanan. He says that's only true when the whole prohibition is Durabanan. But if it's a pro, if it's a rabbinic case, but it has a basis in uh, biblical laws, in other words, it's something that is um, that is a. Uh, uh, that you have a, um, that it might be a rabbinic case of a biblical law. You have something that's prohibited biblically, uh, the, the prohibition is a biblical prohibition, but your case is a case where it's only an Isur de Rabbanan. Still, um, you can't be mevatel Isur lechatchila because since the case is a, since the, the prohibition itself is rooted in a biblical prohibition, you would not be able to avail yourself of this bitul. Uh, you're only allowed to do it where it's purely rabbinic, where it's a purely rabbinic institution. There, you can do bitul um, even in the uh, in, even in the first place. And um, he says uh, he gives cases where, like for instance, let's say a half of a kazayit of fat, of prohibited fat, fell into thirty times um, uh, thirty zetim. Of, uh, uh, of food. So it says you have to have 30 palge, or, you know, basically you have a situation where, um, uh, where you have bitul happening, but you had less than a kazayit. So you have less than a kazayit, so you already don't have the biblical prohibition. But since it's based upon the biblical prohibition, you can't add to the mixture in order to nullify it. That's unlike a case of muktzeh, where the whole institution, uh, is in and of itself, a, uh, a rabbinic one, and therefore you can use this uh, bitul, even the chatechila, you can purposely nullify uh, the prohibited substance with the permitted substance because it's purely rabbinic in nature. There's an interesting discussion of Rav Asi and what Rav Asi's logic was for making havdalah uh, after the first day, especially if he considered it a doubt. How can he do havdalah out of doubt and say the bacha out of doubt? Uh, a lot of discussion about that issue and the implication uh, or the, uh, the the similarity of that to the case of sitting in the sukkah shmin yatzeret in the diaspora where we would do so we sit in the sukkah but we do not make a bracha so there because it's a because we're treating it as a safek we don't say a bracha unlike Ravasi who out of doubt did say the Bachav Havdalah after the first day of Yom Tov because he thought it was possible that the second day of Yom Tov didn't enjoy the same status as the first. So very interesting discussions there to be had. Bezat Hashem, we will continue here tomorrow.